Hello and welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker. I'm Andrew Harrison and with me to flag up what's going to matter in the week ahead, it's Naomi Smith, CEO of Best for Britain. Good morning, Naomi. How are you today? Well, I think listeners will probably be able to hear that my voice is slightly croakier than usual. Um, so I think uh, Labour Conference has finally caught up with me. And You've got the bug that's going round. Yeah. You've got Starmer yeah. flu. Yeah, not, not, not the one, not the, <laughs> not the COVIDs, but yeah. The non-COVID. It's Tory conference in Manchester this week. Although, Thank Christ I'm not there, Andrew. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, actually, they might not be there either because judging by the picture of an LNER train that they tweeted, they may all have gone to Leeds by mistake. <laughs> the North. It's all the same. It's all just, you know, outside the home counties, isn't it? We've got to sort of steal ourselves of what's going to happen this week. Johnson went very hard on trying to flesh out the idea of levelling up over the weekend, telling Andrew Marr that wages are rising after 10 years of flatlining, yeah. even though... ONS statistics say that in real terms, wages have gone down. What are we expecting from this conference? An absolutely desperate attempt to persuade Conservative voters that levelling up is going to work. So you joked about the LNER thing. We've seen that Grant Shapps is now actually talking about cancelling that HS2 spur that would go off to Leeds, the eastern branch of HS2, and instead fast track what is sort of colloquially known as High Speed 3, that that fast rail that would connect Manchester and Leeds and go that east-west route rather than a north-south route. You've got Johnson out and proud saying you know, Labour just want to use that lever, that quick fix lever of cheap immigration. We mustn't do that. We must just make sure that Brits get higher wages. All the while desperately hoping that no one is noticing the shortages of energy and fuel and food and the headlines about Christmas. I mean, can you imagine a Labour government being treated as gently as this Conservative government are by talking about having to save Christmas in September. This started last week, the calls to, oh, we've got to save save Christmas. So this will be a big PR exercise in trying to distract everybody that votes Conservative or is likely to vote Conservative from the chaos and incompetence of this government um, and then hammering uh, Labour on on immigration while saying, you know, we're all about high wages and hoping that none of us are bright enough to figure out how inflation works. Does it constitute another relaunch then? Because the Mar conversation was this idea of a an exciting bright new dawn as if this was somehow a new government. Well, he's obviously had this big reshuffle, but this lot don't seem any more competent than the last lot. In fact, many would argue that the shortages and the queues and things like that have become more acute since uh, since that reshuffle. Does it constitute a relaunch? I don't think so. I think it constitutes a desperate attempt to fend off Andy Burnham, who, of course, is the, the Greater Manchester Mayor, who is all over the front page of the Manchester Evening News today, talking about levelling up and really trying to put a cat amongst the pigeons by saying Gove is the only minister that can sort it out. And, of course, he now... Uh, is Secretary of State for the department renamed the Leveling Up Ministry. So I don't think things will be happy in Number 10 and the advisors at the moment. They're, they're, they're obviously trying to put a lot of fires out in a lot of different directions. But, I mean, look, this is Britain and it is post-Brexit Britain. And so I am bracing myself fully for a 10% poll bounce for the Conservatives by the end of the week. Um, you mentioned that supply chain crisis that happening in the middle of conference. The petrol shortages seem to be ebbing somewhat. This hitting in the middle of, you know, as conference is starting, it's particularly painful for Tory voters, isn't it? Nobody hates a petrol crisis like White Van Man. Nobody hates a petrol crisis like Red Wall Man. 
what is that going to do to confidence? The idea, you know, you, the, the potential idea that you've got news reports that will be showing petrol queues in Manchester while the Conservatives are in Manchester saying how great everything is. I mean, I, I think that depends on the media and how they choose to optically portray that. Last week, uh, when we were in Brighton, you couldn't get fuel anywhere in Brighton unless you're an NHS worker. And I was with a friend who is very well connected with, it wasn't Arthur, but is very well connected with people in (laughs) Afghanistan. And he put in a call to his mate in Kabul and said, hey guys, have you got petrol? And he was like, yeah, yeah, every every petrol station is full to the brim. And that didn't even, you know, and he, he tweeted that and he said, look, there is petrol in Kabul, but there isn't petrol in Brighton. And that didn't really get picked up. Um, so I don't know. I don't. I think you know we live in this odd news cycle where things are immediate for a couple of days and then seem to recede. Again, you mentioned the uh, Boris to save Christmas headlines, which seem to arrive earlier every year. Does he thrive on these crises that he's essentially created himself? The kind of cosplay Churchill factor that you know he, he might not actually have any useful policies or any leadership qualities, but what he can do is 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 look busy and resolute in a crisis, even if it's one he created himself. It's just incredible that he has presided over crisis after crisis, and yet still has relatively good uh, popularity ratings. So I think you're right. I think he probably does relish that opportunity to be the the white knight that comes in and lays down the law and you know sentences in the army and has a bullish response to things but we do know that he gets from you know from leaked messages we know that he does get frustrated about it and apparently he was very cross last week that uh, brexit was being blamed for fuel shortages and that really had got on his nerves um so when there's an inconvenient truth i think he he is less happy with it but I mean his performance on Ma was just so embarrassing I just felt so ashamed that our Prime Minister is somebody as bombastic and prepared to bend the truth and you know twist reality and gaslight a nation so obviously but yes I think I think you're right I think he does thrive off of this and it, it does speak to that Churchillian cosplay as you called it. Well, he did mention on Ma this, trying to claim that the supply chain collapse is a necessary part of Brexit adjustment. The shine is definitely off Brexit. Do you expect Mm. it to get mentioned much at conference? Because you would expect them to be waving it around as an achievement, Mm. but it doesn't look like much of an achievement at the moment. Well, it doesn't because, of course, industry was warning in July and earlier, and they didn't do anything until September, October. So... You know, it, it it isn't just a necessary, even, even if they are right that this is a necessary adjustment of Brexit, that still does not explain why they took a further two, three months to implement the visa waivers and, and, and various other fixes uh, for the acute um, driver shortage that's happening at the moment. Nor do they seem to be thinking ahead to what are the next issues going to be and, and trying to stop any any further problems down the track. Um, so that, that in itself is a nonsense. I think they will not want the B word to be mentioned in relation to those things, but they sure as hell will bring out the old Vote Leave playbook and talk about immigration. And that will be the thing. And and I don't know if you saw Pretty Patel and Johnson yesterday doing the rounds of the exhibition. And I mean, she just looks at him with love eyes. It's it's incredible how it's much. Too early it. in the morning for this. Yeah, Naomi, you're making mm. me feel ill. <laughs> as as ill as you feel. So hovering in the background of all of this is the spectre of triggering Article 16 of the Northern Ireland Protocol. David Frost and various Tories have kind of been uh, rolling the pitch for this for some weeks now. Brandon Lewis now says the conditions have been met 
even though this is a deal that they all signed and knew what they were getting yeah. into, surely not even this Conservative Party would trigger Article 16 in the middle of conference just to get a cheap applause line. Mm, I hope not. Last week, the journalists I was speaking to started the week saying, no, 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 we're not hearing that they're going to trigger it. It's all more bluff and bluster. They won't do it. And by the end of the Brighton conference, most of them are reporting that actually it could happen. And that the, the Conservatives were so keen to keep their their libertarian and right flank happy and quiet that they would throw them a bone on this. I suspect it'll land somewhere in the middle where they will continue to talk it up without actually doing it, I hope. And, you know, the conditions being met, well, nothing has changed that would have meant that those conditions hadn't previously been met months ago. There's, you know, there's nothing new that's happening now that hasn't been happening to suddenly have tipped over into a triggering situation. So I, I hope and hope and hope and pray that it is just bluff and bluster. Yeah, well, you know, we're in trouble, pick a fight with Europe, never goes down badly. Rishi Sunak is going to make his first speech to a Conservative conference, which seems weird. He seems to have been in position for a long time, but obviously he missed the last one because it didn't really take yeah. place. He's announcing a £500 million plan for jobs to replace the furlough support, even though £20 a week is still getting cut from universal credit. What are you expecting in terms of the, the internal Tory criminology here? We're kind of emerging slowly from the, the pandemic. Uh, are you expecting there to be a bit of assertion going on from Sunak? He's the one in the trickiest position because... The Conservatives pride themselves on being the only party that can be trusted with the economy. And we are in a situation where we have got inflation. We've got inflation well above the target. Uh, We've got a a Conservative party that's pushing for higher wages. Um, So are we going to see ourselves in a situation where interest rates have to go up? Um, and where you know we, we we face a very acute cost of living crisis next year, and so why this matters is because it matters when the Conservative Party will trigger an election, and they will want to go to the polls. In my mind, before things are, are, are felt very very badly by the average voter in their in their purse, so he's got a he's got a hard job on his hands. They've spent a huge sum of money, rightly rightly, uh, during the pandemic. But the types of people that go to conference are very different to the types of people that now now vote Conservative. Um, they are the more traditional, fiscally conservative um, and socially conservative, you know, le- less socially conservative voter than the, the average Red Wall Leave voter who are much more laissez-faire when it comes to economics and do like high tax and spend. So it's going to be interesting. He's obviously trying to preach to, to several audiences at once. What is, I mean, you you may say that we're going to be coming onto this, but this is also happening against the backdrop of something called the Pandora Papers Mm. that have been leaked uh, overnight, um, which are a follow-on to the Panama Papers, exposing even more terabytes of data about how the ultra-rich have used London to tax avoid, tax evade, fine line there between the two, to to offshore money and to get around paying uh, capital gains taxes and other asset taxes. And again, that's something that that your average now new conservative red wall voter is not going to like. They are not going to like people being on the make and the the ultra rich getting ever, ever richer. But this is happening on conservative watch. It has been... This is, you know, we, we all know that London is a is a absolute 
a hot pot for the people that give advice around all of that and to non-doms and and things. So it would be interesting to see whether he does anything in his speech around closing loopholes and uh, and trying to put tax burdens onto those with the broader shoulders. But I very much doubt it. Well, I mean, this morning's big story from the uh, the Pandora Papers is the is the Tory donor Mohammed Amersi. Mm-hmm. He's given half a million to the party since 2018, including contributing directly to Johnson's own leadership campaign. And the papers show that he's involved in a $220 million payment from a telecoms firm to a Gibraltar company owned by the daughter of the Azerbaijani president at the time. And US authorities said it was a bribe payment in order to, con- to continue mm. the company's telecoms business in, in Uzbekistan. Labour and the Liberal Democrats have had to give back donations when they've been found to be fishy or from fishy individuals. Do you expect this donation to be given back? And and when it isn't, why not? Well, I certainly expect it to be investigated um, by the parliamentary authorities and, you know, Electoral Commission. But who knows? Who knows? What this just speaks to is everything those of us that have been opposing the elections bill. It shows that we're right to because the, the bill that they're pushing through does absolutely nothing to get dirty big money out of British politics. It's there hiding in plain sight. Um, The Conservatives have long done this. They are unlikely to want to turn that gravy train off. And yeah, you're right. I mean, look, the left is always held to a higher standard of account than the right. Speaking of which, this grieves me greatly. Tony Blair and his stamp duty. Tony and Cherie Blair avoided £300,000 in stamp duty through an offshore company. This is in the Pandora Papers. I'm sorry, Andrew. (laughs) Bad money for me. He really does step on rakes when it comes to money, though, doesn't he? (laughs) Yeah, and it's, I mean, look, I think we need to be clear that right up of this is not alleging that he's broken the law. Mm. Um, He's exploited a loophole in the law, and he probably didn't do it. It was, you know, an advisor's advisor advisor that's done it, and... You know, that, that doesn't make it excusable, um, but I suppose it is a reason. Uh, look, he's not elected anymore. He's not a politician anymore. I doubt he cares very much um, whether, you know, whether this um, exposes him. I mean, they've, they've, they've had it all their professional lives. There was those scandals with the, with the student house that they bought back in, was it in Bristol, back in the early noughties. So this isn't anything they haven't been up to for a very long time. You know, the previous things didn't stop them. So I'm, I'm not sure they will care that much. The organisation that is bringing the Pandora Papers to us, the two organisations in the UK are, of course, the Biased Woke left-wing BBC and the Biased Woke <laughs> Guardian. Biased Woke BBC took a bit of a kicking, uh, a preemptive kicking from the new Tory chair, Oliver Dowden's scene setter for, for conference, which was all council culture and BBC lefties. We're also expecting Nadine Dorries, the new culture secretary. Oh. I still can't believe I'm saying that. Warning against left-wing bias the BBC and telling the broadcaster what is expected of it if it wants to keep the licence fee. The next charter renewal is 2027. Is a healthy dose of BBC and their uh, woke bashing going to be another layer of the uh, the cover-up of the state of the economy and Brexit and uh, COVID and so forth? Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure, for sure. Again, because it, it appeals to the, the kind of voter that they're courting. Yes, they will. Um, and... They also know that it is a wedge issue on the left and that the left aren't always in agreement with one another on some of these issues. So there is a fissure and they will get in there and try and crack it wide open. So this is just about, you know, as much about oppressing votes on the left as it is about turning out their own voters. So, yes, you're right. And with, with Dory's at helm, I mean, I just, I just, I can't even, it's too early on a Monday, Andrew. I can't, <laughs> I can't stop my week by thinking about that. Other things to watch out for this week, uh, the growing investigation into police misogyny since the jailing of Sarah Everard's murderer, Wayne Cousins, 
Police officers are under investigation for misogynistic and homophobic social media posts. An officer has been charged with rape, and yet there still seems to be no substantial reform or investigation on the agenda, and Cressida Dick is still in post at the Met. What do you expect to happen this week? This is clearly going to grow this week, this particular Yeah, it is, it is. And obviously it's dominated the the, papers for a, a good week already and will be yet another reason why the Conservative Party will be doing all they can to distract um, and focus on on other issues to try and get their own key messages over. You know, let's let's be clear, this is horrific. This is absolutely endemic, systemic misogyny within a police force and, and other, you know, obviously you mentioned homophobia too. The government have rode out to defend Cressida Dick and say that there won't be an inquiry is just, you know, crazy. This is very, 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 very bad optics for them because surely an, an inquiry would be one easy way of, of trying to deal with it and get it off the front pages for a while. Not only has, um, I mean, I think of a former colleague of Wayne Cousins been um, charged with rape this weekend, but all of the, the colleagues that he was in that WhatsApp group with are, I believe, all still in post. There is an, an internal inquiry going into it, but as I understand it, they haven't lost their jobs or been suspended pending that. So it's terrifying, and it's terrifying for women. It's terrifying for the whole of society to think, well, are we now in a situation where the police will be losing authority? And what does that really mean? I mean, I watch a lot of dystopian horror films, and, and you know, that's that's one of the first scene setters uh, in, a, in an apocalyptic movie where, you know, the, the police have lost control. It is deeply, deeply concerning, and it's concerning, frankly, that, you know, Starmer's defended Cressida Dick as well. Um, how many appalling uh, situations does she have to preside over before something is done? Um, and, of course, the, the main one that everyone's been reminded of in the last week is the shooting of John Charles de Menezes at Stockwell Tube Station because the advice has been if a if an officer tries to arrest you and you can't verify their warrant, you should run. I think it's I think it's it, we're in a very very dark time in terms of um public faith in the police. A couple more events to mention this week. The Nobel Peace Prize is going to be announced on Friday. COP26 is coming so put your money on Greta Thunberg. But democracy and free speech worldwide are also in crisis, so it could go to a dissident like the Belarusian opposition leader Sviatlana Tsikhanouskaya. I hope I've well said that done, right. Andrew. Well or done. The jailed activist Alexei Navalny, which I can say a little bit more easily. Naomi, who's your fiver on? Greta Thunberg? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it's it's the biggest issue facing humanity. Um, and she's, she's you know, absolutely synonymous with leading the charge on it. But you're right, democracy the world over is under threat. So I hope there are some, you know, notable uh, nods to some of those people that you've mentioned and others. Um, but who would, Andrew, who would you pick out of, you know, if you could pick anyone from... Your world, where would it? Well, actually, I would, I would go for Greta, uh, partly because the message is important and uh, needs to be foregrounded, but also because her superpower is nobody annoys middle-aged men as much as Greta Thunberg. <laughs> no, g- genuinely, the, the hatred that is unleashed against yep. her across social media from a certain kind of guy makes me think she's really onto something. And I'm not sure I fully subscribe to her entire program of. Uh, you know, uh, re- rejecting the overwhelming majority of technology. But I think that, uh, that the things she foregrounds are important. So my five is on Greta Thunberg. Though, of course, the gambling industry itself is bad. 
<laughs> and who, who, if you had to pick a Brit, who would you go for? Would Marcus Rashford be too much? It's not really global peace prize, is it? But it's kind of uh, you know, it's 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 foregrounding issues of poverty in a country that shouldn't have them. I think we'll be I, I will absolutely take that one. Go, okay. go for it. Let, let's let's make Rashford our Nobel Peace Prize. And as a Liverpool fan, it's hard for me to say that. But that so that in itself is generating peace and understanding across divided there communities, isn't it? There you go. <laughs> One other thing to keep an eye out for: Windows Eleven is out today, so look forward to absolutely everybody you know being unavailable for work. Because I'm sorry, the PC is updating. I can't do anything. Terribly sorry. <laughs> Spinning wheel in the window. Naomi, thanks for getting up early to talk about all this exciting and cheering stuff. <laughs> sorry to be a Debbie Downer again this morning, guys. That's the nature of the show. Listeners, thanks for listening. Remember, if you like The Bunker, you can help us spread the word by forwarding this podcast to three like-minded friends. There's a little share button in the corner of your app. Use it right now. Everybody likes having their Monday morning perked off. And if you want to take things to the next level, there's also our Patreon with early ad-free shows, merchandise, and all kinds of other stuff. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out more. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelna Sofronievich. An audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs> <laughs>